The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, and those that are joining us online, Happy New Year from everyone here at Lifehouse Church. And we all see 2016 was a banner year, but you know what? We're looking and expecting that 2017 is is not going to fall short of great because we believe that the best is yet to come. It's a brand new start, brand new year. Turn to someone next to you and say, congratulations. You have perfect attendance at church in 2017. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's good stuff. You know, if, if the statistics are true, we see the banners all over the place. New year, new you. And if the statistics are true, then many of us here rung in the new year with the over 70% of Americans that made resolutions last night, set goals, priorities, and plans to better themselves in 2017. Let's face it, though. We do that because we want a better picture of our lives. And I'm pretty sure none of us go into December 31st and saying, hey, how can I royally mess up 2017 this year? How can I make this the worst year yet? I don't think we go through that. But there, there, there is that sense in us. I want to make sure I'm better. And sometimes that better picture is borrowed from someone else's life. And we look at this guy over here and say, I want to be a better man like that guy because that guy knows how to work on some cars. That dude knows how to play some sports. I want to be a, a, a better woman like this girl because she's got a, a Pinterest account and she actually knows how to make things. And here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm having all sorts of Pinterest fails that I'm taking pictures of in my news feeds. I want to be a better mom like, like that mom because, man, her kids act like sweet angels and mine, I can't even say in the presence of people at church. I want to I be like, like that dad because this guy's got it all together. He's got all the time in the world. His kids are learning all sorts of cool things, and I wish I was more like him. Do you know that regardless of the best laid plans, only 8%, 8% of individuals that say, I'm going to make myself better this year, only 8% actually succeed. Why is this? Because somewhere within the 365-day span, our love and our luster for those resolutions and those results tend to lack. And then all of a sudden, our strength grows weak, disciplines wean, and then we look at December 31st, 2017, and we feel utterly defeated, and we're looking right at our limitations. So rather than this picture driving us to be better, it actually grows us bitter. But that doesn't stop you and I, because for me, ever since I've had children, my goal every single year was just to be a better dad. And parents, you guys can attest to this. There's going to be some years in your child's life that's a lot more challenging than others, whether you're raising teenagers or whether you're raising teething toddlers or maybe it's colicky infants. You're just glad that you're finishing the year with your mind and all your children's body parts intact. And then there's, there's other years where I'm just shouting with just sheer triumph. I feel like I'm winning because health was good, all the baths were given, homework was done, food was, was given to all the kids, family was happy. 
But I feel like every single year that bar just gets set higher and higher and higher as my kids get older and older. I think it's because my dad really gave me a good picture of what a better father looks like. I'm, I'm still convinced that this guy has to be some sort of a superhuman because there's no way that guy can end up being sane at the end of raising me, my older brother, and my sister. But ever, ever since that he set this picture, I feel like that bar just gets set so high and I don't feel like I can attain it because of the picture that he set before me. Let me ask you this. What picture jumps to your mind when, when you hear the word father? What picture comes to your mind when you hear the word daddy or dad? To some, maybe you're like me, and I look at my dad as my role model. He's my superhero. Maybe others, you're, you're, you're wondering, what can I possibly do to gain this guy's approval? What can I do to gain his acceptance? When is he going to come back? What did I do wrong? And others are licking the wounds of, of pain and, and remorse because of just all the neglect and abuse and the mistreatment of your biological father. And I know it's unfortunate, and it's, a, and it's an unfortunate reality for many of us. And I count myself extremely blessed to have had the father I had growing up. But I remember the first time, and it was the last time that I act, actually beat my dad at something. And it was playing basketball. So me, my dad, and my brother used to always play basketball after church on Sundays. We'd wait until everyone cleared the parking lot, and we'd wait and play until it was dark. And one day, I played out of my mind. I played like I've never played before. Then again, I was in sixth grade, so I didn't have a lot of life to reference from. But, man, I was, I was like, shooting threes. Not, not even missing. I mean, I schooled those guys. And I, I don't know if they'll, they'll ever admit to it, but I schooled them, and I beat them that day. And you would think, man, what a great victory for this young sixth grader. But I was, I was more so confused. I was more so taken back because looking back now, that time was actually a bittersweet time because that was actually my last memory of playing basketball with my dad because as I got older, I just wanted to play basketball more. And as he got older, he wanted to play basketball less. And, and all of a sudden, that ride back home, you would think I'd be a little bit more boastful. I'd throw a little bit of jabs to my older brother. But there was none of that that was going on. I was more so confused. Because this is my dad, right? He's, he's the one that taught me. He's the one that's better than me. He's supposed to be faster than me, stronger than me, smarter than me. And I outworked him. I outsmarted him. And I was better than him. What do I do now? If I can beat my dad, where do I go now? Because my dad, my dad is a superhero. He's an all-star. My dad can beat up your dad. And any time that I would ever get in trouble, I could always run back home to dad. But I beat him. So where do I go? And, you know, I've tried to always remember that thought. And I wanted to be like that for my children. I just wanted to be the same kind of dad that my dad was to my kids. And I, I, I'm faced with this reality that us dads, we have limitations. Faced with the reality that you are facing with today, and you see your, your, your dad's weaknesses, their failures, their defeats. If you haven't, you soon will, because trust me, my kids see mine on a daily basis, and the reality starts setting in that as time and age starts wearing on me, I won't be the strong provider that I am to my kids as I am right now later on in my life. I won't be the counselor 
that knows all the right answers, all the right things to do, and I won't be 100% available for my son and to help him and give him advice on how to be a man, a husband, a father. I won't always be 100% available for my daughter when she runs to me and she's wanting a hug from, from daddy. So who do we go to when others are limited by, by their own life? Who do we run to when others are weakened by even their own strength? Is, is there someone that actually has the whole thing under control? Is there, is there someone that knows every detail of our lives and then can offer us help in our most desperate time? And this is why the, the book of Isaiah is so unique. It's because God speaks to Isaiah during an unsettling season in Judah's life. He spoke and gave a vision to Isaiah during the reign of four kings in Judah, King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. Now, King Uzziah was a good king. He was a great king, and he ruled for 52 years in Judah. Eventually, though, time caught up to him. His body grew weak. And Uzziah found himself confined in a palace due to his illness, so he let his son, Jotham, run the day-to-day -day operations of the palace. And so when, when Uzziah finally passed, Jotham took over in a seamless transition between father and son. Now he's king, and he followed suit just like his father. He was a steady king. He was a good king. Again, time caught up. His body grew weak. His mind became slower, and he eventually passed too. And after his passing, the people of Judah had experienced about over 60 years of wise counsel. And then steps on the scene King Ahaz. King Ahaz was nothing like his father, nothing like his grandfather. He had no respect for God, no awe, no worship of God. He was incompetent militarily. He was self-serving during a time of political threat where there was talks of civil war against Israel, talks of the rising power of the Assyrian Empire, and now the people of Judah are in deep remorse thinking that this man's actions are irreparable. Our future is fleeting. Our hope is doomed. The best days of Judah is behind us. And during this unsettling time, during this insecure season, God speaks. And he speaks through Isaiah, and he says this in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be placed on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Isaiah's message was that there's a Messiah that's coming. There's a child that's going to be born, a son that's going to be given, and he's going to be called Everlasting Father. And he's not just going to reign, but he's going to reign as a fatherly king forever. He's going to hold the affairs of mankind in his hands. He's going to hold and control our life. He's going to hold and control our, our homes and our nations. How can this be, though? How can this be that the promised son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, could be also the everlasting father? Is God the father and God the son the same individuals? When Jesus is telling his disciples to, to pray, teaching them how to pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is he saying that he's the Father and you should pray to him? 
No, you see, the context behind that was in regards to the political turmoil that was going on. God was speaking directly to Judah about the rising and the falling kings. He said those guys are held back by their own humanity. They are limited by their own life and weakened by their own strength. But I'm going to give to you, send to you a son. And a government, a new kind of government will be placed upon his shoulders. I can't put this upon the shoulders of a regular human king, but I can put it on the shoulders of my son, the everlasting father. And his name is a revelation of the extent of his authority and his reign, which is forever. And so how did the nation of Judah respond to this revelation? How do we respond to this revelation? So I want to challenge you and encourage you. I want you to take some notes. In your program, there's a place to take notes. I want you to feel free to use your smartphone, your tablet device as well to take notes. If you're joining us online, you guys can take notes on the sidebar there. Download our app. If you guys haven't already done so, it's free. If it's free, it's for me. Download it, Lifehouse Church MD. Go to Google Play or the App Store for your iOS or Android device. So now off with the plug. So this is how we respond to the revelation of God's name, everlasting Father, that we live victoriously. Now, I'm sure that many of us are here is like, oh, man, what a great way to start off 2017. They just told us that we should live victoriously. It's almost like I'm starting a pep rally. We will, we will. Oh, man, you should have been in the last service. It was it's pretty sad. But... <laughs> We will rock you. Let's win one for the home team. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden, while, while we're cheering, the reality sets in. It's like, wait, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on, Jay. I don't really know how to feel and live victoriously. I feel a lot more like the 92% of individuals who's made resolutions to themselves. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at December 31st, not making any of my goals come to pass, and I feel utterly defeated. You're absolutely right. Living victoriously is impossible for you and I. Why? Because we were all born with this nature that as much as we want to say to ourselves that we are a capable and good king in ruling our own life, we end up ruling it like King Ahaz ruled Judah. He ruled it his way. He didn't know what he was doing, and he led the nation to destruction and doom and despair. That's exactly what we do with our lives. We end up realizing that our own lives are limited, that our, our strength is our greatest weakness, and we realize that we can't do it on our own. This is what biblical authors call sin. Sin is any action, any thought, any pattern that, that goes contrary to who God is. And this sin creates in us a destructive nature that leads us to a physical death, but not just that, a spiritual death, where one would live separated from God and all things good forever. We not just see our inadequacies as fathers. We see it when we look in the mirror and we see our limitations as humans. We're not just utterly lost without the proper guidance of a father that knows every detail, every order of our life. We are utterly defeated as well. We thought we could go into the battle against sin and win, and sin overtook us. It won. We lost. The end of story. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope 2018 is really good for you next year. Wouldn't that be horrible if that's how we started? Hey, welcome to 2017. You lost before you even started. As soon as you woke up, just want to let you know, living victorious is a dream. It's not going to happen. That's horrible. 
And the story ends there if a human king was writing it. But an everlasting fatherly king would not let the story end that way. See, there was, there, was, there was a promise to be fulfilled, and over 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled what he said he was going to do. And so he sent his son, Jesus, as a poor infant born in a manger to a virgin mother named Mary in Bethlehem. Why would he do that? Because God is a good king. He's a good father, and he's good in his word. And Paul, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, he wrote this, this letter to the people of Rome. And he was writing a letter to give a practical overview of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the people of the church could spread it to the known world. Now, the, the Roman church was right dab in the middle of the most significant, most influential city of the entire known world. And they were in the middle of economic power, political power, in the middle of the Roman empire, all these different individuals was rising into power, all these different individuals had authority and reign, and Paul was trying to elevate a different kind of authority, a different kind of lordship, and it belonged to Jesus. And this is what he says in Romans 8, 31. He says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This God that promised to the people of Judah that I will give to you a son. Paul is saying, how can a God that says, I'm going to give you a son, and he gave us a son, how can he not withhold anything else? How can he not give us all these things? God is, God is a good God. He's an all-knowing God. He's an all-powerful God. He's an all-present God. He's not just winning. He is overcoming. He's not just barely surviving. He's not struggling with our futility. He's not limited by our lack, nor is he weakened by our strength. God gained victory and he showed that he's not against us by sending, giving us his son, Jesus. And through Jesus, we can have that same victory. Because Jesus came as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy as the everlasting father. He's the conquering king. He conquered sin, death, and hell. How did he do it? Because when he came to this earth, as the fulfillment of God's promise, he took on our, our limits he took on our defeats. He took on our weaknesses. He took on the forever punishment that was meant for us on his life and in his death. He defeated death once and for all. So you may be saying, how in the world do you consider that victory when the guy is dead? Well, he didn't remain dead because three days later, he rose from the grave, triumphant over victory, triumphant over sin, triumphant over death, triumphant over hell, so that those that would believe in Christ by faith would not just be forgiven, but they would receive this victory through new life of the power of his resurrection. His invisible spirit makes his home in our spirit, and now we have a new trajectory in our lives. So what does living victorious look like right here, right now for us? Well, living victorious first and foremost looks like that we're living victorious over sin. See, the everlasting Father, Jesus, is the king of eternity past. 
So I'm not sure what 20, 2016, 2015, 2014 had brought your way and what kind of baggages you had been carrying before. I don't know what hang-ups and hold-ups, what struggles and setbacks or trials and tears that, that you may have shed before. But if Jesus Christ is the, the king of eternity past, then that means that he was king and he's victorious over there. But what tends to happen is we tend to live right here in our past. And we, we tend to, to set up shop here. It's like, this will be my kingdom right here. And this is where I'm going to live. And we live in a perpetual state of defeat year after year and year after year. But if Jesus is king, then we're part of his kingdom. And that means he reigns victorious over our lives. That means he reigns victorious in our past, in our present, and even in our future. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, defeating death and hell, he gave us new life not to live the old way, but to look ahead. Not so that we can wallow in sin and shame, but we can walk in triumphant victory over our old pattern of life because now the victory that Jesus Christ receives is imparted in our lives like it was our own victory. So I want to give you two complimentary thoughts today of how we actually apply this victory in our lives for 2017. The first is this. We live victorious when we live as children of God. In Romans chapter 8, this is what Paul says. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. I don't know what you brought in in 2017. If you're walking and, and trembling in fear, thinking that you're going to re-repeat re all the things that, that you did before, this is what Paul is saying. You were given this spirit and you received this so that you wouldn't have to be in fear again. You're no longer slaves. It says, rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Not Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what Paul is saying is that our position has now shifted. It shifted from being slaves to sons. Ladies, Paul is not trying to be sexist, not even by the slightest, because the New Testament context has it where the sons are the only ones that were allowed to be heirs. They were the only ones allowed to have responsibility and rights given by the father. Similarly, though, in Jewish law, a servant in the home, a slave in the home, would not be able to refer to the head of the home as Abba. That name was only reserved for children. And what Paul was saying is that your position shifted. You're not just servants, you're sons, you're daughters, you're children of God. And Paul says that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard children cry. There is no right time. There's no rhyme or reason. They'll just cry for, for the fun of it. They'll cry when they're hungry. They'll cry when they're happy. They'll cry when they wake up. They'll cry when they need something. They'll just cry. But this reminds us one essential truth is that through adoption, God is granting us the ability to call on to God as our father whenever and wherever we are at. 
Because relationship has changed everything. Through the Spirit of God, it brought us to sonship through adoption, and now we become children of God. We become heirs and offsprings of God. So there's a couple things I want you to know and understand about this adoption process into the family of God and being children of God. First is that maybe you're here today and you've been adopted before. Or maybe you know someone that's been adopted or you've gone through the adoption process. But for most of us, we were born with a family. We're born with a name. We're born with a father, but not an orphan, not someone who's been neglected, abandoned, and taken away from their parents due to lack of provision and lack of care. See, when they get adopted, they receive a new family. They receive a new name even. They receive a father. That's the same thing that happens to you and I. When we get adopted into the family of God, becoming children of God, it was nothing that we could have done in our own merit, but it's something that we have to receive from God first. There's not a laundry list of things that we could do that can make God accept and approve of us anymore. There is not an amount of masks that we can wear and clothes that we can put on that can make us more acceptable and adoptable in the sight of God. Nothing could have changed our position. We were enslaved in, in our own patterns of living, and we did not have the right to call on to God, Abba Father, unless he came to us. See, we chose damnation. God chose salvation. We chose hell. God chose heaven. We chose to run away from God. God chose to run after us. Adoption was always part of God's plan. You may be saying, well, did God get taken off guard when we messed up? God then all of a sudden realized that we sinned and orphaned ourselves off into the world. Now he's got to come up with a game plan called adoption to bring us back in right relationship with him. It was part of his destiny. It's part of his plan for us. Because interestingly enough, the word Abba is one of the first words a Jewish child actually learns to say. Simply because it just comes off natural, rolls off naturally for kids. It's easy for them to say. It's easy for them to learn. It's like when a child learns to, to say dada or mama, as much as we say that, oh, man, that sounds really, really cute, Abba, it reminds us of a central reality that this adoption was part of God's plan even long before we were born. And because it's part of his plan before we were born, it's not based on how good we actually are. It's not based on the value, the worth, and the merits that we bring to the table. It's based and rooted in the eternal purpose and the eternal grace of God. And, and that's why it's not this fragile thing. God's not all of a sudden going to adopt us and realize how how limited and how inadequate we are and say, oh, I'm going to take him back to the store and I'm going to unadopt him. No, God says, that's my son. He can call on me whenever he wants to. That's my daughter. She can call me. She can call on me wherever she may be at and I will answer. Secondly, what we realize about adoption is that adoption is through Jesus Christ. As we wrap up this message series, we wrap up the, the Christmas holiday, we are even reminded that Jesus Christ came to this earth through adoption. Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He came as a child of a virgin mother named Mary. And Mary's husband, Joseph, literally had to adopt Jesus as his earthly son. And so he took care of him as his own. And what Jesus was trying to model is that fatherhood has nothing to do with biology. Adoption is just as valid as biology. And because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we can receive this victory by being children of God through adoption as a free gift from God. 
Because when Jesus hung on the cross, God saw our sin so that when we stand before God, what God sees is now his son. Lastly, the thing about adoption that we must realize is that it's for the purpose to share and show our inheritance in God. God is victorious and he enables us to live victoriously through adoption. And because we're children of God, we not just receive this, this right to call on him, Abba, Father. We not just receive this victory. We have the right to reflect it. It is our responsibility to reveal it to a watching world. That means it's up to us to share and show it to everyone around us. This changes how we view every single person we encounter this year. How does it do that? Because it doesn't matter what, what they say about you this year. It doesn't matter what others will do to you this year. It doesn't matter how disappointed you get or how let down you may get because of someone else's limitations. We can now look at them not from the lens of life, but through the lens of love and the lens of heaven and view them as God sees us. They're children waiting to be adopted into God's family. They're chosen members, valuable members of God's family. And it's my responsibility as a child of God to share and show that victory to every spiritual orphan that the world has absolutely abandoned, absolutely neglected, and let them know that there is an everlasting father with an everlasting love that has a plan for you to be a part of his family. When people around you Look at your life. They see a new identity. They see a resemblance. When you become part of a family, you start to look like that family. And you start to reflect a new name through this adoption process. You have a new history, a new heritage. And so when others look at your life, they should see the resemblance with your new identity. When the world is saying, it's okay for you to live life your way, you're saying, no, living victorious has nothing to do with living it my way because I have no victory apart from the victory I received from Jesus Christ. So I'm going to submit and humble myself to the ruling of this everlasting forever king. They say it's okay to be cruel and it's okay to hate, to, 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 to be unkind to individuals who let you down, who disappoint you, who walk away from your life. You're saying my victory has nothing to do with someone else's limitations. My victory is rooted in an everlasting love from the everlasting Father because I've gained victory over the old pattern of life and now I'm, I'm walking in this new life. Lastly, what we realize is that we, we must live victorious by living secure. Paul says this in Romans 8, 37 through 39. It says, now in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was so enthusiastic that he ended up coining a Greek word, hypernikeo, which means overwhelmingly conquer. The word nikeo means conquer, and then the... The root verb for that is Nike. And so the reason why I say this for you young people is that next time you see a Nike symbol, next time you see a Nike commercial, because they're all over the place, remember the victory that you have in Jesus. Remember the victory that God's given you. Remember Romans 8, 37, that we have victory. We are more than conquerors. I love that, that tense there because it's a present tense. Paul didn't say we were more than conquerors because it would be easy for us 
to look at one another and say, I felt like I was really living victorious back in 2017 when I had a good paying job and I had this house and had this relationship. And all of a sudden I got laid off and the house went to foreclosure and I broke up with that person. And all of a sudden I don't feel so victorious anymore. But he says, we are more than conquerors. It's not we will be more than conquerors, where you're not a conqueror now, but you will be soon, eventually one day. No, that, that truth is for you right now. That victory is for you right now. You are more than a conqueror right now in this present stage of your life through him who loved us. Did you catch that? That was a past tense. Paul said, he loves us. Yes, that's true. But your victory has nothing to do with what you have and what you get and what, what you did. It's based on his, his love for us. He did everything already to secure our victory. He conquered everything that needed to be conquered already in our lives. And you may be saying that's all well and good for someone else's life, but you don't understand mine. I'm glad that Paul was the one that wrote this and not me because Paul was mistreated, he was abandoned, he was neglected, he was imprisoned, beaten for things that he was trying to do good in. He was still able to say, we are more than conquerors because I'm convinced of this thing. He starts writing a list of, of things that when we stand in front of them, in front of them we, we start saying, I don't feel like a, a conqueror. I don't feel like I'm victorious over this thing right here because... That's way too big for me. You start saying death or life. Maybe last year, the years past, you, you've experienced a death in, in a dream, a death in a relationship, death in a loved one. You feel at an all-time loss. You feel absolutely defeated. Maybe life has thrown you some curveballs that you were not ready for, and you don't feel victorious at all. Angels or demons, things that when I stand before them, they're much bigger than me, and I feel inadequate, minuscule in front of these things. Neither, neither present things or future things, the things that's going on right now. You can't even see victory because of all the waves, all the storms that's crashing in front of your life, and don't even talk about the future because I can't even see it right now height nor depth where you feel like you don't have the strength to climb or you're just too deep you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel it says not even powers maybe you feel powerless because everyone else is making decisions for your life except you and you just got to go with the flow it says not not even anything in all creation maybe you don't you don't fit in this category but he makes sure you catch up right here not even anything in all creation so yeah I, I find myself in that one says not any of those things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our victory is not in what we're facing, it's who we are facing. If there is an everlasting Father that is walking with us and he won't leave us and none of those things can separate us, I can walk securely in victory knowing that I may not win, but he already did. It's like I won the championship, but he's the one that played the game. He's the one that already won it for your life. He's the one that already won it for your relationships. He's the one that already won it over your problems. You can walk victoriously because he's already won. I don't know what 2017 holds for any of us. I wish we had a little crystal ball that would tell us, hey, this is what's going to happen to you next month. This is what's going to happen to you in 2017, and that's when you're really going to live victorious. 
life doesn't work out that way. We don't know what it holds, but we know who holds it. I don't know what your home holds for you in 2017 or relationships or schools or, or your job holds for you in 2017, but I know the hand that holds it in his hand is raised up in victory because he's already won and you can walk in it too. And today, maybe you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, I don't understand what this victory looks like because I've been walking in defeat. I've been king over my life my own way. I've been reigning over my own life my own way, and it's led me to destruction. And today, can I just tell you that there is no victory apart from the victory you receive through faith in Jesus. If you've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to listen up. I believe God's going to speak to you, and he wants to give you victory today. If you've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're watching this online, I believe God's going to give you victory this year. You've never acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. That's your response today. Repent of your sin right now. Receive his forgiveness and allow the Spirit of God to renew you and allow you to walk in victory as a child of God from this day on to live secure. Let me ask you, maybe today you've already made that decision to follow Jesus. Who do you need to share your, your victory with today? Who do you need to show your victory to? What is that thing in your life right now that is causing you to be separated? From the victory of God? What is the very thing right now that you need to ask God? Our Abba Father, say, God, would you, would you be victorious over this area of my life? Because I've been trying to rule it. I'll let you have everything else, but not that one. But today, I want to hand it over because I can't walk securely in victory because there's separation there. And I need you to reign victorious over this. I believe God's going to speak to us what those things are and how he wants us to respond. Would you pray with me today? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.